when I went to your website for, is it Red Reel Video Production? Yeah. <laughs> you, you have in the bio there, which is great, um, it was founded around 2009, mm-hmm. and you say something uh, out of, it was born out of the recession because if you can't get a job out of college, you might as well do exactly what you want to do. Yeah. And um, even though we're supposedly in a robust recovery, I know a lot of people are still feeling the effects of the recession. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about creating your own job, essentially? Yeah, well, I yeah graduated in 2008 and um, didn't really, I went to business school because um, I, I was filming since I was a kid, um, bought my first camera when I was 13, but I don't think it ever really occurred to me that filmmaking could be a possibility. It was just way too cool for me. <laughs> like, didn't even it didn't even occur to me that that was ever going to happen. That um, didn't even cross my mind. So, um, yeah, I ran away from home when I was about 16, and so there was kind of a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of big recognition of oh, I need to have stability in my life. So. When I did go to college, it was for business and um, focused on that, but went to a liberal arts school called uh, Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado, and had amazing professors that really let me do um, whatever I wanted with projects and turn in videos, and um, it was a great atmosphere to be in to learn about who I was and what I wanted to be. And after graduating from there, there was just you know, not a lot of jobs. It was the, the peak of everyone getting fired from places. And so um, I decided I would do video production and that started with, you know, wedding videos or tutorials um, for, uh, was really connected with the outdoor industry at that time. So Osprey backpacks and things like that were paying me to do four by three videos on deep v, uh, DV tapes and. Uh, YouTube had barely even started, so <laughs> it was just a different time period and slowly, slowly gained confidence enough to um, make my first film and it just kind of took off from there. I think you had made some um, short films about aspiring people in the uh, sort of environmental space. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had um, made a film before that called 23 Feet that was about uh, people living simply to do what they love in the outdoors and took that on a kind of unorthodox tour where um, the film was called 23 Feet because that was the size of my Airstream and created a screen that came down from the Airstream um, and had an outdoor city theater tour where in 30 different places around the West um, showed the film and and outside it was places like, you know, Tuolumne Meadows outside Yosemite to like 30 climbers to a blocked off street in Portland, Oregon with 300 people. Um, So it was an amazing, uh, very unique uh, distribution (laughs) strategy, Um, but I just had no idea about film festivals or anything like that. But what I did find was people would come up to me after the screenings or write me letters later about how they had decided to, you know, quit their day jobs and, you know, empty their uh, rentals out and move into a van and decided to just like, you know, live the life that they've always wanted to live. And it was really uh, jolting to get these letters from people who had decided to change their life after seeing a film I had made and um, really spoke to how powerful films can be. Um, so after that, I had made Move Shake, uh, which was a series about people who are dedicating their lives 
to their passions of environmental and social justice. And that was a big learning experience, but made several short films and uh, uh, it, it was what led me to um, making my first feature in Afghanistan um, called Frame by Frame that was about Afghan photojournalists. Um, so slowly, slowly getting away from the outdoor industry and more into topics that I was interested in uh, around storytelling. Do you think if it hadn't been during the time of the recession that you would have been less uh, apt to try that just because you saw so many things were falling apart that we didn't think were going to fall apart? And yeah, I think it's probably not good to say, but I might be the only person who's thankful for the recession because <laughs> it was, I think I could have very easily just gotten a marketing job somewhere if it would have been a different time. Um, but it really forced me to think, okay, I could do a job I really don't want to do and make okay money, or I could do exactly what I want to do and push myself. And that was a scary, scary risk and leap to take, but I'm um, really glad it turned out that way, obviously. How committed do you have to be to want to turn your life over to a story? How committed do I have to be to turn my life over to a story? I mean, I definitely, um, with frame by frame and on her shoulders, my two features uh, completely gave everything that I had almost disappeared in a way to make these films. So I think that's what I've done. I don't necessarily think it's healthy or sustainable, or um, but in a lot of ways, I don't know how else to make films. I, yeah, that might be a personality thing, but <laughs> I think in order to really tell a true story, you have to kind of give yourself over to it um, and be that passionate and dedicated and no one's going to be, it, it's such, it's so much work and it takes so long and it is so hard that, and no, no one's really going to give as much of a shit as, about it as you are, so you kind of just have to give your entire self to it, and especially because I'm a shooter director, editor that um, um, does a lot of producing work too. It's, um, yeah, it takes, it takes every bone in my body, <laughs> yeah. What advice would you have for another documentary filmmaker who knows that about themselves as well? Like, okay, I have to really be passionate about something and I can't do a certain job and sit there 40 hours a week and I know I want to do this, but I also know how emotionally tough this is going to be, not just for me, but for my quote unquote subject. I think it's important to know going into, especially a feature film, that giving yourself over to it and the emotional strain and stress is going to be a part of it and that that's normal. Um, I think a big part of my first feature was just like being hard on myself for being hard on myself and or just like, you know, not being able to handle the emotional strain and thinking that it was abnormal. Um, but most people go through that scary time of like, is this the right way to tell the story? Am I doing it justice? Am I doing the right thing? This is really hard. I have no idea what I'm doing. Are we going to get the money? All the scary things um, that happen, feeling really stressed out about that and or not stressed, but you know, very uncertain. Uncertainty is normal. Like the, the feeling of risk, it feels normal and you can get used to that part, but I don't think it ever becomes easier, but at least you could be nicer to yourself in the process. So frame by frame 
was was difficult you're saying but I think I heard you say that um, on her shoulders was definitely the the toughest that you've taken on in terms of a, making a film yeah I think well I mean topic wise and um, it was very a very fast production um, but definitely handling the subject matter was very intense but with both with both films it was um, yeah incredibly a, a, a huge journey to get from start to finish so um, and each one very unique um, and very different so um, but yeah it was definitely the hardest on her shoulders was definitely the hardest thing I've ever done in my life that's for sure how did you first hear of Nadia I remember seeing Nadia's speech in December of 20 uh, or December of 2015 um, at the UN Security Council and I think it was either a video on Facebook or something like that that they had shared the speech um, and I remember f taking notice of that and 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 also paying attention to the genocide that started in August of 2014 um, but it wasn't until uh, July of 2016 that Riot the production company reached out for me to make a short film about Nadia um, and wanted me to make that and so I met her two weeks later and after meeting her it was very obvious that it should be um, a feature film to not only do justice to her story but we were the only ones with the access that we had and so it felt like a huge responsibility to do um, justice to it and bring nuance to the issue and to her story. So Haley Pappas, who's your producer, she, she's the one that introduced you to, to Nadia in terms of making this short? Riot um, got access to um, Nadia and uh, their team through Elizabeth Schaefer-Brown who was working with Nadia and still works with Nadia. Um, they approached Riot and suggested some sort of collaboration and that's when um, my, the producer of the film, Haley Pappas, reached out to me. And so initially it was a short film. At what point did you say, oh no, this has to be a feature? I think about a week into filming with Nadia, I realized that that couldn't be a short. <laughs> um, definitely wanted it to be a feature. Um, and that was a scary thing to propose the production company. They definitely were not interested and didn't want to make a feature. Um, and so for the post-production, I was making it in secret. Um, but uh, as soon as they saw the first, um, the first rough cut and I spoke to them about the importance of it, um, especially to the, one of our executive producers, Ben Muser, had a conversation with him about why it needed to be a feature and showed him the rough cut and um, then they finally got on board, but there was a scary space of time where I had no idea what was gonna happen. Um, but then after it was decided that it would be a feature, they came on board with all the financing and everything. Thankfully, we were able to do so. So the film is, is so much uh, a, a woman's story of you know, sort of like this reluctant celebrity in some ways and very necessary for her to tell this story, but it's also an interesting look at our media and you see the, the questions that are asked over and over again to Nadia, and they're very painful. Mm -hmm. Some are necessary, and some it seems like uh, maybe they're pushing the envelope a little too much or going too far with it, especially the sensitive nature of everything. What were some of the questions that you had to ask Nadia before you began the movie? Did, you know, did she really want to go through with this? How was this to have you essentially as part of her life for this period of time? Um, 
Yeah, I, I went into making the film very aware um, and very cautious about how I gained access as a storyteller into this film because, you know, I needed to be very cognizant of the fact that the access I was gaining with Nadia was because she felt that she um, needed to make the film. It was just yet another thing where it was like, yes, anything to get the word out. If you feel like a documentary will help, sure. And so that's a very strange space to be in as far as a documentary filmmaker with access and really made me question you know, everything that we were doing and I was very conscious of it, not only at the beginning but throughout filmmaking of how that um, influenced the story. But um, in general that conversation was very quick and she was like, yeah, sure, let's, let's do it. So, um, but I think after seeing interviews that Nadia had done um, and the questions that were being asked, I had no idea going in what kind of impact this uh, telling her story over and over again would have on her. And um, seeing that, you know, through a long lens, watching her and listening to her, it took a piece of her every single time. And it was very soon into the film that I really wanted to focus on not only what I was seeing, but what I was grappling with as far as a storyteller and our sense of responsibility to the stories that we're telling, especially such traumatic stories. I thought what was really telling too was the other people's reaction to the camera. And, and one scene in particular that really stuck out was, I don't know if she was in the US or Canada, she was going down an escalator and these girls were coming up and they wanted to be in the shot. And they thought, it, you know, but, but the thing is it's an interesting look at how we're in this new landscape where people want this sort of attention, mm -hmm. but they probably had no idea why she was being filmed mm -hmm. and the reasons around it. So I just thought that was such an interesting contrast um, of okay. showing just the reaction to everybody. Oh, who's being interviewed? But the subject matter and the reason for it um, are, are things that most people wouldn't survive even retelling twice. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was a very interesting look at where mm -hmm. we are right now with media and, you know, people wanting to get their channel out or their Instagram account. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think Nadia saw those women on the escalator and thought it was endearing. And I think I wanted to show, you know, a big part of showing her in scenes, like getting her hair done or the shopping, it's like um, pulling us out and making us conscious that, you know, this is at the end of the day, a 23-year-old woman that, um, is just a young woman who likes makeup and doing her hair and clothes just like the rest of us. Yeah, I just wanted people to get a sense of her personality through those images. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is the film you set out to make the film that eventually was made? Is the film I set out to make the one I eventually made? I didn't set out to make a film. Um, I, of course, I set out to make a film, but um, I didn't have any preconceived notions of what this film was going to be and that is a part of my directing process because I don't, I've, of course I did a lot of research on Yazidis and about Nadia, but I don't want to define what the story is before I'm actually with the people. And so the film is created 
through the experiences I'm having with everyone um, and what I'm seeing, what I'm witnessing, the questions I'm asking, the answers I'm hearing, um, that's what shapes the, the story way more than the research that I did before the film. You have a quote uh, that I think you, you quoted, um, the late artist George O'Keefe, and it's a great quote. It says, um, I have already settled it for myself, so flattery and criticism go down the same drain, and I'm quite free. And mm. That sounds wonderful. And we're in a new age where we can all have these opinions and put them out there, whether they're harmful or not. Mm -hmm. Where did you, and how did you get to that point where you're free from, you know, they always hear, well, if you believe the good, then you have to believe the bad kind of thing. Well, I don't know. That's out <laughs> I know of it's a, it's a very esoteric <laughs> question, but it's, um, it's interesting. Yeah, I guess you might have seen that on like my Facebook or something. Um, or? I think it was, uh, was it like Women in Film? It was a Q&A or something that you did? Oh. It was a written Q&A. Oh, okay. Sorry. I've yeah. done so many things. <laughs> um, yeah, I really love that Georgia O'Keeffe quote. Um, I mean, she's definitely a source of huge inspiration for me. and. Um, really uh, look up to her, her work in a lot of ways. Um, I think that kind of, I think especially as women we're just so pressured to be certain things or um, not allowed to be other things that men can be a full range of, especially if, as artists, um, that it's not until you're in the distribution process of going to festivals and doing press that I even really realize that I am a director um, because I'm a shooter editor and I'm just making my film and I'm just doing this thing and it's really actually not even until I come out that people are like, oh, female director, Alexandria Bumbach, and I'm just like, oh yeah, I guess I am a female and I guess I am a director and, <laughs> you know, there's kind of these things that, and, and um, you know, thing, boxes that you're put in and all this stuff and it can be kind of damaging to your process of, of the actual making of films. So for me, I don't read the reviews. I try and stay away from, yeah, being put in these boxes. It's incredibly difficult, but um, it's important for me to just kind of put my head down and do the work rather than do the work defined by other people um, or what I should be doing or what they think I'm doing or what they think I'm doing wrong or right. I just want to do I want to have responsibility to my subjects and do justice to their stories um, and do that in a way that I feel is true to myself. We had a few questions come in from our YouTube viewers and this one is from Ms. Green and she writes, how has what you've seen over time changed your view of life and does it ever show up in your filming or do you edit it out? Oh, um, I think the films I'm making are definitely starting from my experience and a lot of them have to do with um, how I'm questioning how we're operating in this human experience at all. So with Frame by Frame, I, there was just so many questions I was having as a storyteller about our perception um, and where that comes from and wanted to make a film about Afghan photographers to talk about perception uh, of a place that is so often this unknown known um, in a lot of ways. And with Honor Shoulders, I was really interested in, I mean, this is kind of feeding off of that in a way where it was continuing telling a story about storytelling and the repetition and the packaging of stories of trauma 
and how we're receiving that as an audience and our own relationship with apathy and empathy um, through these stories. And so I don't think I would ever make a film where I already had the answer. I already feel very strongly about things like cigarettes or single-use plastic, and I don't think I would ever make a film about it because I already know <laughs> how I feel about it. Um, I think all of these films are questions that I'm also asking myself, and I think it, that's maybe where the energy comes from and, and relates to an audience asking themselves questions too. Um, I think that's where it all comes from is my own questioning of life and how I'm experiencing the world. Where does your love for storytelling come from? I mean, you had gone, you said, to, to study marketing for, and I, I can see why, and it sounds like you took your love of the environment or different things and wanted to add that to your marketing plan or whatever. But, but <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but um, where does your love for storytelling and film come from? Um, I definitely have loved making videos since I was a kid. Um, I I don't know, it's a hard question to ask, where does my love for storytelling come from? Because I'm having a, such a complicated relationship with storytelling even now after making On Our Shoulders and really questioning where we're coming from as storytellers and our responsibility to our subjects and who's telling what story and, and, and why we're telling it and all sorts of different things. So it's an interesting space to be in now. I know that I don't want to stop um, this work and I will continue to make documentaries and probably die with a camera in my hands, but um, I don't even know where that comes from. I think, <laughs> I have no idea. I, th I feel like each film I make though is kind of a exploration of things that I'm questioning about life. It's a process of, of pulling things out of myself and answering hard questions. So it's a, it's, I just love the process of it. I love all of that. and. Of course, it takes me to, it just introduces me to people that I would never have met. And um, I mean, it's such an honor to have met Nadia, even though I wish, of course, that I would never have met Nadia. I wish none of this would have ever happened. Um, and she was just still, you know, an unknown person in a village in Sinjar. But, um, I am so, so thankful that I got to meet these people and be exposed to um, their patience and grace and um, empathy so I can see the world in a different way. It's um, quite a gift and hopefully that's translated to the audience too. The intimacy uh, with your shots of Nadia, I was mm -hmm. wondering if you could talk about why you chose the, the beautiful black background and it's sort of this confessional style. Mm. Yeah, it was important for me with um, with Honor Shoulders with the storytelling too, especially with the cinematography to, to have a sense of intimacy. Um, so much of the things that people have seen from Nadia, of course, are coming from more of a journalism uh, background. So, and people are interviewing her, you know, two thirds of the frame. And I just wanted to disrupt the way that we're used to hearing from her, let alone the way we're used to hearing from survivors or Yazidis or just survivors in general. Um, I wanted people to feel close to her. So a lot of the shots are close up shots um, on a long lens um, 
to give that feeling of almost sitting next to her as people are communicating with her, talking with her, that you're sitting beside Nadia as she's going through this thing. Because a big part of the film is that I think people think going in, the film will be about Nadia, but in reality, it's a film about us and our um, uh, how we understand storytelling and apathy and empathy. Um, and in that same vein, wanted to um, do something different in the interview where she wasn't going to be two-thirds of the frame looking off screen. I wanted everything to disappear and you were just looking at her and she was looking you in the eyes while she was talking about this stuff. I also avoided um, any questions about her actual captivity or escape because I think the film is trying to make you question why you need to even know those details in the first place. Um, and I also put a huge emphasis on making sure that those were longer cuts and uncut interview um, sections, um, which is, was a hard thing to figure out, but finally got that placed well. Um, because I wanted you to be with her as she, you know, maybe went in another direction in the middle of her sentence or, or decided to talk about something else or hesitated before saying something. Um, and that took a lot of work in the translations to try and make that as nuanced as possible because how we had heard from her in the past, of, of course, was either live translations at the UN or someone sitting next to her translating her. This was the first time that I felt like people could really, um, if you are not speaking her one dialect of Kurdish and Kurmanji, that you can really, really hear from her um, what she's saying and trying to express, um, which was very important to me in telling the story. What's one question you wish the journalist had asked her? Well, I think Nadia explains that in the film. She definitely wants people to focus more on the issue rather than the um, sensationalism of the story of her and personal story. I think she she's very smart. She understands why it's important to for people to know just how um, horrible ISIS has been, um, but it is disappointing when it doesn't eventually lead to these more powerful questions of what can be done, what's next, and what's the current state of other girls besides Nadia. So, um, but she expresses that very beautifully in the film.